My name is Pastor Dan. I'm one of the, the pastors here, and I'm going to just start off my sermon off script by just sharing how, as we were singing, um, just just sensing that we're part of something so much bigger than just what we do in this warehouse, and that there are people um, praying for all kinds of miracles that we are not aware of. Maybe we are aware of them, but whether it's the big the big headlines or just smaller things, whether it's you know, things that are not fair in the world or people who are in harm's way or people who um, are so close to, to coming into connection with saying yes to Jesus. Um, there are all kinds of miracles that we um, get to be part of because we believe and because we have hope uh, in a God who makes big promises uh, so we are starting a new series today, and you may have noticed the whale um, imagery, and that's intentional. When I was born, one of the stories that my mom always told me growing up is that the doctor saw me at seven pounds and seven ounces, and I made a big noise, apparently even blew up my lung, had to be in an incubator. Um, but the doctor said, what a whale! And growing up, I thought, you know, what a whale was W-H-A-L-E. And it was only later on that after talking with the doctor some like 20-something years later, he actually meant (laughs) W-A-I-L. What a whale, because I just made this big sound. And before it was like, yeah, I guess, you know, seven pounds, that's kind of a big baby. But I guess I wasn't a whale in that sense. (laughs) So... Today is a day for uh, whale puns and jokes, so feel free to, to share them afterwards. But I've got to start with a few of these just to, just to warm us up a little bit. What did one beached whale say to the other beached whale? Maybe you know this one. Long time no see. Long time no see, S-E-A. Uh, what did the dolphin say to the blue whale? The big blue whale, he said, cheer up. He was a blue whale. Cheer up. Yeah. Um, There's also the story of an octopus that was speaking with the whale in the Jonah story, and they were talking about this amazing thing that happened. Um, And the whale said, I'm afraid that, you know, Jonah was not happy with his accommodations. And the octopus said, what gave you that idea? And the whale said, oh, I I have inside information. (laughs) Inside information. So please uh, share your your whale jokes and tail jokes. Um, We'll be wailing in laughter at the end of the service one way or another. Uh, But we are are starting this, this new series. And if you know anything about... The story of Jonah, perhaps it's from what you heard as a child, and maybe it's from a kid's Bible, about the whale, Jonah and the whale, this this big fish. And yet, as we go into this series, uh, I think we're going to see that there's so much more to the story than just a family-friendly tale. And the book of Jonah is only four chapters long, the whole book. So it's very accessible, and it's very readable. And sure enough, we planned it so that we have four weeks 
leading up to the end of Lent, and it's hard to believe that Easter is less than a month away. And so on our fourth Sunday of this series where we're going through Jonah chapter four, it's gonna be Palm Sunday, which I think is a wonderful uh, way to beautifully tie in the themes of how Jesus is the true and better Jonah and how so much of what we're gonna discover points forward from the New Testament to the old. And as we see the struggles and the ups and downs of this reluctant prophet, um, we'll see amazing connections as well leading into the story of Jesus in his final um, week before Good Friday and eventually Easter Sunday, of course. And so what I encourage you to do, since it is such a short book, um, you can read one chapter a week to follow along with this series. You know, this week is chapter one, next week is chapter two. Um, but for bonus points, and so we can even get more of a feel of the scriptures, I would say read the chapter that we just talked about in that week's message, as well as the chapter that's going to be in the following week's message. So you're already in chapter one because today is Jonah, Jonah one, but for this coming week, if you read, you know, chapter one and chapter two, it'll give you a head start into next week's sermon. And so what you end up doing is reading each chapter twice, but still only um, one, one week at a time. So that's just a suggestion as a way to track with this series. Now, to test my clicker, let's see if this works. Okay, so our series, uh, our, our sermon today is called No Ordinary Jonah. Um, because, well, two reasons. First of all, there's no story like Jonah in the Bible, right? Being swallowed by a fish, that is a headliner right there. So clearly not an ordinary Jonah. The other thing that makes him special is that from the very beginning of this story, which we'll read in a minute from Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah is the Joe who basically says, nah, now, nah. you know, uh, it's a very specific instruction, go to the city of Nineveh, and so this extraordinary Joe says no to God, the Joe who says nah. Sounds a little bit like the, the Monty Python character of the knights who say knee, if you're familiar with <laughs> Monty Python. If you're not, it's, it's one of those things where you either know it or you don't. But Jonah is the prophet who says, nah, Joe, nah. Um, and so we're going to start right there at the very beginning in chapter 1. I'm reading from the contemporary English. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah let me just make sure I have that right. Okay. Amittai's son, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their evil has come to my attention. So Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish from the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare, went aboard with them to Tarshish, away from the Lord. So he receives a specific instruction and essentially goes the opposite way. Now, the city of Nineveh might not mean much to us today, uh, besides the story of Jonah, knowing you know, that's where Jonah doesn't want to go to. 
But in Jonah's day, this was the capital of the biggest empire in the most brutal regime of its time, Assyria. And so the Assyrians were known for being particularly brutal, pillaging their way through the Middle East, murdering and burning their enemies alive, and even decorating their walls and pyramids with the bodies of their victims. And those are just some of the cruelties. The list could go on. Um, But Nineveh is basically the symbolic home of everything evil, hateful, idolatrous in that time. And remember, Jews were on the margins. And so for Jonah to be told to go to this place, uh, one Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, says it's basically like telling a Jew in 1940 to go to Nazi Germany or something like that. It's just a place you would understandably want to avoid, and for good reason. Thanks to... um, our friends at this church in Canada who I forgot about, but they, they came up with this map. Um, I'll, I'll think of the reference in a second because I want to give them credit. Um, but you can see how far away Tarshish is from Nineveh. Scholars aren't exactly quite sure where Tarshish is, but we definitely know it's in the opposite direction. So Jonah goes far west instead of to the east from Joppa. And that's where we pick up the story. And we all have some version, maybe on a smaller scale, of Nineveh and Tarshish. Maybe your Nineveh is a place that, you know, you feel God pulling you towards or a situation or a a person that you are called to have a conversation with, but You want to escape and go the opposite direction. We all have our Tarshish, our way of getting away um, from those places where God is nudging us to. And so what do we do with that? How do we engage that? And the first thing uh, in your notes is to let God form you along your Jonah journey this Lent. Number one, recognize your ticket, your Tarshish ticket. Name it to tame it. What is your Tarshish ticket? For every call to Nineveh, there is a ticket to Tarshish. And Jonah is not alone in going the opposite way. And for very understandable reasons. But what about us in the 21st century? What might be something that we would go to? Maybe it's numbing ourselves um, in different ways. Maybe it's avoiding those people and those conversations that make us uncomfortable. And to be fair, I think there is a healthy space to get some distance and detachment from certain situations that pull us in these vicious cycles that we caught, get caught into. And so in that case, it's important to have space. But there are those things that we just kind of avoid and we're just always having space from that God draws us in to engage. And those are those spaces where we need to name what's, what's getting in the way. And during this series, um, you'll notice that the subtitle is A Jonah Journey, Spiritual Practices That Equip 
we're going to be looking at some practical ways to participate in this recognition process. And the first way is an ancient practice called practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God, made famous by a monk named Brother Lawrence. And there are different ways to describe practicing the presence of God, but I just want to pull out a few ideas from the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. She says, practicing the presence is a way of living into a deeper awareness of God's activity in our lives. Through many small pauses, we begin a habit of turning our heart toward God. Through these acts of attention, we express our intention to live in union with Christ. So if you have a strategic mind like me, you might be thinking, well, what are the actual steps, Pastor Dan? Where, where's you know, the, the line-by-line description of what I say and what I do and for how many minutes? That's the thing about practicing the presence of God. It can take different forms and shapes, but the goal is to be mindful and aware of Jesus throughout your day. So it's much more about personal relationship than strategy. It's not so much a box to check or something to say, I did that, um, hopefully I'll see some results now. It's more of checking in at different points. It's a way of trying to stay connected at maybe transitions throughout the day. Sometimes I use you know, moments where I'm going from one building to another or one event to another. Lately it's been one Zoom call to another. If I can flag that moment and it's you know, a little window of time where it's like, okay, you're in a quick transition here. Breathe. I'm here, Lord. And I know that you're here with me. And just being aware that you're with God and God is with you Sometimes um, I'm filling up gas at the gas station and it's enough time to, to say the Lord's Prayer or to, you know, just be still for that moment because you know that you're going to get back in the car and, and be on to, to busy, busy things and listening to what's on the radio or whatever. But practicing the presence of God is a way of just saying, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm here. Help me to see you. It's not about praying something really long or even having the right thoughts. It's just the idea that God is with us throughout the day. So that's one practice you can do. And, and throughout this series, there's gonna be at least one or two practices for each week that go with our four um, chapters of Jonah. So that's, that's the first one that's, that's in your notes. But we wanna continue on in the story to see where God's presence might be for Jonah. We know he runs away. We know he's going the opposite direction. And yet, God isn't waiting for Jonah to get it right in order to act. God isn't waiting for Jonah. God is acting. God is working. God is loving. God is moving. And Jonah may or may not get with the program, but that doesn't stop God from being the God who loves and reaches out and cares for the world. Even Jonah, even Nineveh. So continuing on in verse seven, it says, meanwhile, the sailors said to each other, remember they're on the ship to Tarshish, come on, let's cast lots so we might learn who is to blame for this evil that's happening to us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. We're not sure if it was, you know, drawing straws or, you know, having rocks that look different so you know which one is attached to whose name. But it's a way of basically saying, Jonah, you got the short end of the straw, the short stick. And it shows that it's Jonah. And so they say to him, the sailors say, tell us, since you're the cause of this evil happening to us, this great storm, what do you do? What, what, are you, what are you doing here? What's your line of work? Where are you from? And what's your country? And where are your people that you belong to? And Jonah answers truthfully and says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made these seas and the dry land. Notice that he mentions the sea and the land in his affirmation. Despite the fact that he's going the wrong way on the sea, he speaks truthfully about the God of his people, the God he is not so much listening to right now, but yet is answering correctly about where he comes from. The irony, right? Verse 10. So then the the sailors are terrified and they say to him, what have you done? Because they know that Jonah's fleeing from the Lord because he had told them. And so the sailors say, what will we do about you so that the sea will become calm because the sea was continuing to rage? And so Jonah says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will become around you. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's come upon us. Jonah takes responsibility. He knows that there's this disconnect between what he's heard and what he's doing. And he still doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but he also cares about what these sailors are asking because they're now on the ship too. Jonah has brought them into the problem because as the ship goes, all of them go whether they're Jews or not, whether they're prophets or not, whether they're supposed to be going east or west, they're all on this ship, kind of like us on this planet sometimes, or in this Christian space where there's so much drama sometimes, you know, beyond just the local church, but the broader world of how Christians are thought of and what we're known for. You know, sometimes that ship can bring more people down than just the ones who are to blame, the ones who are actively going against what God has called them to do. It affects everyone. And Jonah recognizes that. And so he says, throw me into the sea. I know, you know, he was asleep earlier. I might have skipped that verse. But he, he was asleep But the problem wasn't that he was asleep, because if it was, then when he woke up, the the storm would have been calm. The issue was that he was on the wrong boat. And until he's off of that boat, the storm is going to continue. Verse 13. So the men rowed to dry land, but they couldn't manage it because the sea continued to rage against them. So they called out to the Lord. Now this is... Jonah's God now. Please, Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man Jonah's life. And don't blame us for innocent blood. You are the Lord. Whatever you want, you can do. 
So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea became calm. The sea ceased its raging. In some ways, these pagan sailors are faster to catch on than Jonah, right? They're already, you know, believing, worshiping, saying, Lord, whatever it is, we'll do it. Again, the irony that these sailors are somehow coming to Yahweh, the Lord, and they are pointed in that direction now because of what's happening on the sea. Just a few more verses in Jonah 1. So the men worshiped the Lord with a profound reverence. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made solemn promises. Now that is serious. That is, you know, doing something intentional, whether it was, you know, some sort of uh, belonging or possession that they sacrificed, um, but they were doing it together. They were doing it together. And then meanwhile, finally, the fish comes into the story, and the Lord provides a great fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the whale, the fish, for three days and three nights. And that is the end of the chapter, chapter one. Cliffhanger. What's going to happen? He's in there for three days and three nights. Interesting. Three days and three nights as we come towards Holy Week and Good Friday. So, it brings up some questions about how God is still working in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, yet honest reply, giving credit to God, and at the same time, needing to be rescued by a fish? Is it a rescue? Is it a punishment? We'll have to wait and see till next week. But the second point in your notes for today is to let God form you along your Jonah journey Trust in God's purposes to find you where you are, just as that fish came to Jonah where he was, even when you're part of the problem. Notice, I'm not saying Jonah is our example of what to do. You compare Jonah and Jesus, and they're basically opposites a lot of the time. You know, Jesus has a call, and he follows it. He goes toward the evil empire rather than away from it. He lays his life down willingly rather than having to be thrown by others into this gigantic fish situation. And yet there's something in this story for us. There's something about Jonah that points us to Jesus. In fact, Jonah isn't mentioned very much in Scripture outside of the book of Jonah, but Jesus does mention Jonah. And there's a section where the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're looking for a sign. And they're looking for an explanation. And they come to Jesus and they say, how do we know? How do we know that what you say is true? And Jesus says, you're looking for a sign? Well, there's not going to be a sign until you see the sign of Jonah, which is kind of cryptic because it's like, well, what, what is the sign of Jonah? Is it a fish? Are they going to see a fish? Are they going to see, 
you know, someone survive three days in this weird <laughs> situation. And there's a whole lot of unpacking to do there, but for now, let me just say that there is a connection to Jesus' ministry to what God reveals through the story of Jonah and John's and, and Jonah and God's heart. So there's some kind of connection. And as we go along in this series for the next uh, three weeks after this, we will be tying those, those threads together. So keep reading in your Bibles to see how maybe you haven't seen the parallels before between the life of Jonah and the life of Jesus. Because God's good purposes still continue even when we're part of the problem. You know, we might be a big part of the problem, we might be a small part of the problem, we might just be on the ship that someone else is sinking. But a lot of times here on planet Earth in 2022, we are part of it somehow. Maybe we're complicit or maybe we're just involved in the sins of the world in some way. And yet it doesn't stop God's good purposes. God doesn't wait for the world to change before forgiving and offering hope, you know? We have a responsibility to respond, of course, when it's time for us to make a choice, but God's hands aren't tied. God isn't saying, you know, okay, man, Jonah's not getting it right. Wow, there's not much I can do here. He wants Jonah to get it right. And yet, really what matters is not God getting on board with where Jonah's going, but Jonah being part of what God is doing. And it's the same thing for us, right? God has been working throughout history, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it is part of God's work. And beyond that, it's a matter of if we're going to be part of it, you know? So what is the spiritual practice for this? Well, I want to introduce you to something, uh, if you haven't heard of it before, called welcoming prayer. I learned about this um, from a coworker, I believe, in InterVarsity, and I didn't realize that it wasn't on the previous list that Pastor Rebecca handed out of spiritual practices, because the book we have is an older edition of the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, but the newer version, which is still actually like six or seven years old, but the newer version has more practices, including welcoming prayer. And welcoming prayer, similar to practicing God's presence, is not about strategy as much as it is opening yourself to God in the midst of life's interruptions and the ordinary moments. And this is what it says from Adele Calhoun in the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. She says, if I can find it, when your heart races, your jaw clenches, your shoulders get tight and you can hardly breathe, it's your body trying to alert you to something about your experience. Awareness of body sensations can actually lead us into welcoming prayer where we take every thought and imagination captive to Christ. The moment we feel our heart race, or a jaw clench, we can lean in to prayer, where we let go of whatever it is that we 
want so much in that moment and instead welcome Jesus into it. And so in your bulletin, I have it printed there so that you can take it with you throughout the week. But you'll notice there's kind of three categories of things that we desire, we need, you know, comfort and security, approval and esteem, and often events and people that we really, really want to control. I struggled with this uh, this week, even for this sermon, which is not how I planned it to be. I wanted to control it. I wanted to be approved of. I wanted it to go well. And yet this week was a very full spring break week. As Rebecca mentioned, we had a camping trip, and then we had an university event, and then other things. I'm, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go to another university event. So this week, you know, has felt a little bit like being on that stormy sea for me. And that is actually more the norm, if I'm honest. If I'm honest, it's not like my life is calm and then all of a sudden I had this strange and stressful week. More often than not, the strange and stressful is like common for me. And so why not use that as an opportunity, I sensed the Spirit saying, to welcome Jesus into it. And so we're going to practice this right now, just so you can get your feet, get your feet wet um, in this. So let's just be still for a few seconds, and we'll just pay attention to what's happening in us. Maybe it's something we're thinking about, or maybe it's um, something we're feeling, our shoulders, our heart. whatever that is, we want to welcome Jesus into the moment. And so let's all read this together, starting with I let go. Ready, begin. I let go of my desire for comfort and security. Welcome, Jesus, welcome. I let go of my desire for approval and esteem. Welcome, Jesus, welcome. I let go of my desire to control this person or event. Welcome, Jesus, welcome. With your help, I embrace this moment as it is. Amen. We just embraced a moment together. And it's not like Jesus wasn't here before, but now we're more in touch with Jesus around us, where we say, welcome, Jesus, welcome. I had some really great insights somewhere, but I don't know where my pieces of paper are, but that's okay, because you've heard the main points of this sermon, and the great thing about these outlines that you have to do in advance is, even if the sermon goes terribly sideways, you still have your piece of paper, or in the case of online folks, you can Download the PDF. And so this week, let's try those two practices. Let's try practicing the presence, and let's try the welcoming prayer. And don't beat yourself up if you are not doing it good enough or something like that. That's more from our stuff, I think, that leads us to feel that way than anything from the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is not going to say, you're doing it wrong. That's not the right way to pray. It's really about giving it a try and welcoming Jesus into our moments, our sermon prep, our traffic jams, our Zoom meetings, our conversations with coworkers, our budget planning, our movement from car to building, back to car to building, or maybe it's a bus, or on foot to exercise and back. These moments where we can welcome Jesus in. So let's pray. Jesus, we are on a journey with you. And like Jonah, we don't always do what we're told. We don't always follow where you lead us. And yet that doesn't stop your goodness from flowing. That doesn't stop your son Jesus from loving us and dying for us as we are while we are still sinners. Thank you for the grace and mercy that says, welcome home, children, sons and daughters. Welcome home, regardless of where you've been, regardless of whether it took a giant fish to bring you to shore, or whether you were like the sailors who understood the crisis and took action right away. Wherever we fall on that spectrum of responsiveness and quickness to listen and follow, Lord, you love us, and there's nothing we can do to love, for you to love us more. And so, Jesus, we give you the rest of this period of Lent, we thank you for the privilege of being in the midst of those 40 days leading up to Easter. And today we just want to say, welcome, Jesus, welcome. We welcome you here, and we welcome you into our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week. Help us to see you and to know that even before we practice your presence, you are already present to us. In your name we pray, amen.